Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the forbidden play to my breakdown of reality, time, and space. Mr. Robert Lundgren, how you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing good. I'm doing quite, quite good. You sound, it sounded like you did that right, but you, you got a second chance because you accidentally dropped something on your keyboard and stopped recording, so you got to take two. So I'm going to call this one a wash. I, I only got to the first word, and then they, they, they yeah. It's been a day, man. <laughs> it's been a day. Let's just say that. Well, as always, let's get started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and keep these good times a rolling. Heck yeah. And so, based off of the podcast yesterday, listener Wesley, who has more Twitter followers than we do, so he tries to, he's very nice. He's been trying to talk about us on his Twitter feed to get us some more Twitter followers and stuff. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he heard us talk about how Stephen King movies are garbage. And then he's like, well, the Bond segment's over. Why don't you guys do Stephen King movies next? And it's kind of a good idea. It's kind of a good idea. Because we were talking about Star Trek, but that doesn't feel like a journey. Because I've been on that journey a lot. A lot. I don't know about you. Never with me, buddy. I know, but but still, like, I've, I've watched them so many times. I don't know what new I can glean from them. I've watched them with every commentary under the sun. Like, yeah, I, I don't know what I could, but the Stephen King movies, I, there are several I haven't seen that I've actually wanted to like Dolores Claiborne. I, I'm kind of vaguely interested in, uh, Salem's lot, the mini, the original miniseries I've heard is quite good and never seen it. What, what I especially like about this idea is that we are going to get a mixture of Oscar caliber work looking at you, Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and absolute garbage like the Tommy knockers made for TV movie. No, we're not doing the Tommy Knockers. That's part of the rules, remember? Because if we did all the TV movies, we would be here for years. <laughs> years, unless you're going to make I, us I thought watch we Tommy. included the TV movies and miniseries, N- but excluded TV series. No, no, no. Okay, okay. So this is this is what we're doing. These are the rules. These are the rules, okay? Because I think we need to set up the rules to include stuff like that. Like, that's what No, because we'll be here forever. I do not want to watch people scampering again. I watched that live once and that was more than enough. I watched that when it came out. I was that kind of fan and I, I do not need to watch that any, anymore. Okay. Where, where's the Stephen King list? I have it somewhere. The King list. There we go. FMD King list. Okay. These are the rules that we agreed to. Okay. <laughs> that sounded like something else. <laughs> you're, you're a child. <laughs> we only, we only what? Yes, I am. Rule one. We only watch Stephen King films based off of books as sorted in the Wikipedia list in order of their production. So we're not going to watch Sleepwalkers. That's not based on a book. <laughs> You're taking all of my joy. Hold on. We'll get to that. You can subject us to that again. I, I subjected myself to that about a year ago, and I'm fine with it. Two, we only watch movies based off of novels or novellas, so none of the short stories, because then we don't have to like watch Creep Show and Cat's Eye and all of those. And like random episodes, like like Creep Show, the TV series, has done a random one, which I watched already, and it was it was gross. We only watch English productions because I counted at least three Bollywood uh, Stephen King-based films, which is intriguing. Don't get me wrong. I'm kind of on board with that. I I, I want to pare down the list. I want to 
Hold on, hold on. Okay. So at this point, just there, we have 35 movies to watch, Jonathan. 35. Mind you, No Time to Bond is a 30-part segment, so this is going longer. Okay? But but I already mentioned I put, I put Salem's Lot in that list. So here's the thing. You and I, we have a yet-to-be-determined amount of extras that we could throw on the list that are TV shows, short stories, Bollywood, whatever we want. If something intrigues us, we can throw it on the list. Um, I've already done my first one because Salem's Lot comes really early in the production order. Uh, it comes right after Carrie, actually, which I've, I've never seen Carrie. Like, I've seen Carrie because, like, it's been on TV enough that I think I've seen, like, all of it, but I've never actually, like, watched it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, so I, I'm right now it's at two, but if we decide we want more, we can have more, I guess. You know what? I just occurred to me. I'm looking at this list. Is the Dark Tower on it? Because I know. Oh, there it is. Okay, we're good. We're good. So yes, so there's, I, I'm going to do the sale. that deserve better. Just saying. <laughs> well, I'll, I, I've never seen it, so I'll find out. It, Idris Elba, by the way, was amazing in it. But oh, that script. <laughs> <laughs> what about Matthew McConaughey? All right, all right, all right. He was all right, all right, all right. I mean, he it was actually a little bit creepy. He did a good job. This script. as Randall Flag. Oh, the script. Oh, oh, that script. Okay, so you and I, we have two extras. We do not have to use them. If we need to go for a third extra, though, that means we both get three extras. And if somebody's adding everything and wants to watch everything, then we can punish the other person by making us watch absolute garbage. Which, you know, I mean, that's I mean, we're already watching. We're already watching Dreamcatcher, man. I don't know how how much we want to stick it to each other. I, I certainly don't. I, I legitimately... <laughs> I, oh, like I think I told you before, I saw that in theaters. I legitimately want to watch Salem's Lot. That's been on my list for a long time. I've just never really had the Which drive one, the to TV do it. The TV one? The TV one, the original one from the 70s TV that Tobe Hooper good, did. Man. Like, I mean, given TV budget from that time period, it is legit good. I never seen it. So I that's why I want to. This is a good excuse. This is a good excuse. So so if we want to add something to the list, I'm thinking about adding a Bollywood one to the list. I haven't cho- chosen which one. They they did one based on it, which has me intrigued, but I need to research oh. this a little bit. <laughs> well, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. And because it's Bollywood, we know there's gonna be a dance sequence in it somewhere. So I, I'm I'm curious. But anyway, I want to do a little bit more research before I, I pull the trigger on that. Also, you and I have agreed that we will somehow get the viewers in on this, the listeners, and you guys will be able to throw something into our list to torture us somehow. Uh, either I'll make a survey. Oh, I'm not sure absolutely. how we're going to do it. 1,000%. Yes. So start start making your plans now, gang. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't quite figured it out. Like, maybe I need Survey Monkey. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But basically, like, I'm thinking I'll make a survey of, like, everything <laughs> that's not on the list. It sounds like you're going to pop the window open, hang your head out, and go, I need Survey Monkey. <laughs> and then off in the distance, you hear now, before you start reading, uh, before you start uh, going like, "Oh, I'll make him watch the Lawnmower Man." You and I have already agreed we are going to hate watch the Lawnmower Man because that's that just was out happen. in theaters, man. That counts. But it's based off of a short story, not a novel or novella, oh. so it doesn't count. But we we, no, we need to watch that, Nibbles more. We definitely more. need to hate watch that. Part of yeah. me wants to make me make us watch Brain Scan, which has nothing to do with Stephen King, other than it came out about the same time as Lawnmower Man, and it deserves more love than it got. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Edward Furlong's brain scan. I went there. I'll go there again. Who's with me? Um, if an extra is a miniseries or TV series, we commit to watching two episodes per podcast episode, unless we agree that we have the time to, and the ability to watch more. So two hours, because we uh, apparently you and I can give about two hours every two weeks to randomness. But like, oh yeah, absolutely, guaranteed to 
And we need to announce our extras that we are throwing on the list before we pass its production date, which is why I already pulled Salem's Lot because it's the second one right after Carrie. Okay, but you have to promise to, to remind me about extras that are going by to give me the opportunity to do it because I will forget. Okay, okay. Well, I will I will make the anti-list then. I need to make that soon anyway. You're, you're better at that than I am. Okay, so given, we've got a few episodes of No Time to Bond left. We've got uh, the one we're doing today. we got Spectre. we got the rhythm section. And then we'll take a break forever long it is and come back to it whenever No Time to Die comes out. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's, that's I mean, we were, we were right on track for having No Time to Die on home video right about the time that we finished this whole segment. But thanks, Corona. Yeah. And we've also decided we, 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 we've been talking uh, around Halloween time. We'll take a break in this to watch uh, John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy because because I, I haven't seen Prince of Darkness in like probably 20 years. I want to say 15 to 20, somewhere in there for sure. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. So, yes, coming soon to the Forgot My Dice podcast, the we need a. We need a like no time to die, but or no time to bond. But we need it for Stephen King stuff. We need something catchy. But yes, we will have the uh, the Stephen King film fest starting with Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and then Cujo, and on from there. I haven't seen Christine. You know that? I'm a fan of John wow. Carpenter. I still, yeah, I just never got around to it. Firestarter is another one of those movies I watched. I think all of it on TV in bits and pieces, but never in like one stretch. So, anybody else just want to listen to the Prodigy and play Wipeout? Or is that just me? Mm. Oh no, I can't sing it. We can't afford that. That's all we can afford. Don't do any more. Hey, hey, hey! I'm your fire starter! Twisted fire starter! Hey, hey, hey! I spent a long time trying to convince my father to grow out his hair and do the reverse mohawk because he was he's completely bald on the top of his head. Mm. As it turns out, my father, now 82, was not down with the Keith Flint haircut, which, you know, yeah, I spent at least a half a decade uh, in the late 90s trying to trying to make that happen. But it was just a no go. No go. So, yes, people. Stephen King Film Fest. Wesley, what may God curse your soul? Oh, yeah, you've unleashed it, man. (laughs) (laughs) You cracked the seal, man. Now now all of that good stuff's pouring out of the Ark of the Covenant, and you're about to unleash it upon all of the listeners. <laughs> this might be the greatest and simultaneously worst idea I've ever heard in my life. I am so down. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, Gina had a note for us, which I think is valid. Uh, she wanted us to talk about, because we talked a lot about how Delta Green's bleak, but we didn't talk about why bleak is fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I We never, ever, ever meant to imply that that wasn't fun. <laughs> Gina's thought was uh, that she wanted to pass along that uh, when you're playing hack and slash and high fantasy and all that, you know, you're not a hero because sometimes you're doing it for glory and money. But, you know, Delta Green, like, you know, trying to role play somebody who's how much are you willing to pay to protect the world? Because the, the price is high. That that is that is interesting, and I I don't think it's something I want to do like every time. Like there's people I know who play Call of Cthulhu all the time, and I'm like that's I don't think that's a flavor I could have every day, but it's definitely it's definitely fun to have it every so often. Break it up. So if Bleak weren't fun, the Hunger Games would suck. <laughs> oh, the Hunger Games! They're so bad at protecting the capital. 
We could have a standing army and shoot people with stuff, or we could just have orbs everywhere that do random traps and have mutants in the sewer. Hmm. <laughs> what should we do? I don't know. Have a standing army? I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. Last but not least, Jonathan. Happy National Towel Day. Oh, hey, I used a towel today. <laughs> uh, May 25th is a tribute to Douglas Adams, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because uh, he died on the uh, May 11th of 2001. And so two weeks later, they had Towel Day in his honor. And we have had it ever since. So there you go. Happy and Towel you know Day. What? That's all right. That, that's it? That's just all right? That's all you got for that? All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. My name's Russ Cole. All right. Well, let's get this sucker kicked off. It's time for our first segment. And that is, of course, our off-the-shelf segment. That is where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, media players, and Xbox slash PlayStations, and into our hearts. Where do you want to get started today, Robert? Movies and TV. Movies and TV for 200, Alex. This is a thousand, man. We've been watching good stuff. Don't don't go down the board. Just just hut and peck, man. That's that's actually the winning strategy. All right. Well, so what have you been watching? Oh, did, oh I see some True Detective on there. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. I, I watched the first season. I finished it up. Oh, my God. How amazing is it? Like, legitimately, how amazing is it? You know, it's funny. Like, having now watched it with uh, my head full of Yellow King goodness, it's quite good. Like, there was a lot of references that I caught the second time. The, the best one was I heard that, you know, when Russ has his vision in the final episode, you actually do see black stars. And so when that part aired, I got, like, real close. I got up close and personal to my TV, and I really looked at it. And yeah, sure enough, there's like little black things like out in front of it that you can barely see if you're not really looking for it. But yeah, there's there's black stars there. There's a lot of I think that's I think that's Carcosa. I think that's the spinniness. I'm not sure. I mean, I got my own theories, but yeah, no, it's it was it, it was really good. Having just real recently good. watched that, I do have to say, I would say that's in my top five TV shows of all time. That season of, of True Detective. Yeah, I haven't started on season three yet. I, I agree with my buddy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to skip season two. I'm going to watch season three. And if I'm really feeling it, I'm going to go back and watch season two just to watch what the hell went wrong. I don't think anything went wrong. I think. The, oh, no, the a lot. A lot went wrong. No redemption. Like, it's just bleaker. It, it's not that. It's um, I've heard heard from you, uh, especially, too, that season three isn't as good as season one, but it's really well cast. Like the acting is up there with season one, which saves it. And Ma- I was, Mahershala as I was watching Ali and Steven Dorf are amazing in season three. I mean, legitimately career defining performances for both. Right, right. And, especially, and but same thing, especially Steven Dorf. But same thing could be said about, you know, Woody Harrelson and, uh, 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 Oh yeah. Without I, a doubt. I want to call him Russ. I can't think, I can't think of his actual Matthew McConaughey. There we go. You know, but I st- season two, like, you know, my buddy was just talking about how Vince Vaughn is incredibly miscast. <laughs> I don't know. I thought he did a good job. I didn't think Vince Vaughn was the issue. I, I don't think he's miscast at all. I don't know. I only me and Gina, when it came out initially, we watched one episode and kind of stopped. So maybe it was two. I don't know. But whatever. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. But I'm definitely gonna watch season three next. That's that's next on the list. Then I watched Mortal Kombat. Yeah, you know what? I wasn't a Mortal Kombat fan when I was a kid. So I think some of the magic was lost on me, to be honest with you. I was kind of not impressed. I didn't tell you it was going to be a good movie. It still needed that spice of, of liking Mortal Kombat because without that, I didn't. 
it, it was fun. There were parts of it that were real fun, but there were parts of it that were real stupid and, and like glaringly like record scratch, take you out of the movie. Stupid, like dude with magic sweater, you know, like that's a super, oh, I told you the new character was the worst part of the movie. Yeah. Like, why didn't they just make that dude Scorpion? Like, seriously, seriously. They were like setting it up. They well, were yeah, setting it up. They, they like, there's been multiple scorpions and multiple sub zeros in the canon. Like, it's not like it doesn't make sense to do it. I, it's it's just once again Hollywood trying to make a, a a movie out of a video game franchise and not trying to pay homage instead of paying attention to what works. And then, like you know, Jax's superpowers apparently gets super arms that were given to him by monks in a monastery. Yeah, that I are told bionic. you, like I'm not a fan of the whole like oh the symbol just makes magical <laughs> happen to me. That's that's I thought that was a stupid plot device. Like they they have everything they need. Just embrace the zaniness of it. Just say he's like in some military thing, and they just slap him back on. Like why do you have to make it overly complicated? <laughs> it's a shame too. Like the first ten minutes of that movie start off real strong. Like the the, 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 the whole the Scorpion Sub Zero subplot. Like the whole plot between those two characters is is fantastic. It's the best part of the film. And, and even early on, you know, when Jax gets his arm ripped off and the new guy and, you know, whatever. But, yeah, just as the movie goes on, like, they, they get more Some and more off the rails. Too. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Speaking of good fight scenes, did you watch that trailer I sent you? Which one? Oh, shit. You know, I, I meant to. Uh, let me do it right now. Hold on. Okay. So, That's set up for this. G.I. Joe movie? Yeah, so set up for this. I, I, I saw it completely, like, so I, I was just watching YouTube while I was cooking. And so like an ad came on and I didn't see what the ad was for. It just started playing and I, I, I missed it. So like when I started watching that ad, I didn't know what was going on. And then legitly when it, it, it reveals that it's, it's the snake eyes movie. I, I, my jaw dropped. I'm like, Oh my God, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> right, hold on. Here it comes. Here it comes. So, so when I saw that, not knowing it was snake eyes, as I was watching it, I'm like, is somebody making like an eighties ninja movie? But like making it actually like look good, like because I could get down for that. That that that's fine. Oh, Do you ever see uh, uh, what the heck is it called? Ninja Assassin? No, I still have not watched that one. Oh my god, Robert, that's an '80s ninja movie made awesome. It's it's not a good movie, but you're gonna love it. You're gonna have so much fun with it. All right, but but stop me if I'm wrong. That actually like looks it potentially okay. No, it totally looks. It, 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 that's what I was just gonna say. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now, but I'm really excited, and I know I'm not supposed to be. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like those first two movies were freaking like a spectacular level of garbage. The first one was atrocious, and the second one was like, "Hold my beer." Yeah, yeah. So also, I watched the Animaniacs. Continues to be good. We're an Animaniacs classic. Nineties, uh, nineties problems are, are are a real thing. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Me too had not happened yet. That it, yeah. mm-hmm. hello nurse is a bad trope. Yep. Uh, and then and then my buddy got me the sci-fi movie marathon four pack, and we watched half of it. We watched the uh, nineteen eighty nine classic Arena about uh, like MMA in space. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was actually kind of fun. It reminded me of Babylon 5 in a weird way, not just because Claudia Christian was there, but it had that kind of vibe, which was interesting. Because, yeah, you wouldn't see that in Star Trek. You'd see that in B5, maybe Star Wars too, you know, kind of that seedy underbelly of, of, the, of the universe. Yeah. I could dig it. I could dig it. And then we watched this crappy movie called The Eliminators, which uh, starred uh, Tasha Yar, actually, of all people. Oh, oh, sorry, going back to the arena, arena. 
The funny part is Goldicott and Quark are both in that movie as uh, Goldicott plays the bad guy, plays very similar to Goldicott, whatever that Mark's, I forget what his actual name is. And then uh, the guy who plays Quark, he plays this like little rat face guy who's his lackey and very quirky. <laughs> it's, it's actually quite entertaining if you watch it along those lines. Anyway, going to Eliminators, that had Tasha Yar in it um, as a scientist and her magic robot. And there's a dude who is a cyborg he has bionic legs, but sometimes he takes them off and drives around in like a lower half of his body as a tank. And it's amazing. And, and it's a great prop. And you, you, there's a take where he obviously almost kills himself on it and, uh, but doesn't. And it's, uh, it's kind of horrifying to watch, but that's just how it rolled in the eighties. And it's by the guy, it's not Corman or anybody. It's by the guy who went eventually onto uh, found full moon, uh, productions, whatever, you know, puppet master and all that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was his company before that company because <laughs> his movies uh, made him go bankrupt for the first one. But, you know, apparently in Hollywood, if you figure out the trick to fail upward, you can just make a new company and start over again. But yeah, I would recommend. They're, they're not good, but they're kind of fun and they're terrible and they don't make any sense. Like the plot literally does. Okay, so like the plot of Eliminators is this dude makes a man. Uh, he's called the Manborg, by the way. That's like his literal name. Uh, he makes a Manborg and then he's going to kill him because he makes a time machine that works and he doesn't need his Manborg anymore for reasons, I guess. And so uh, the Manborg escapes and he goes to find Tasha Yar, who lives in LA. This is, he apparently is down in Mexico somewhere, even though it, it, in the context of the movie, it looks a lot like Louisiana. It's very strange. And then um, they have to go back to stop the guy with the time machine and the cyborg doesn't know how to get there. And I'm like, didn't you like walk up here from there? Like walk, like you can't find your way back. Like you have to get a boat. They have to get a boat. It's like, why do you have to get a boat? You walked out of there. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What have you been watching, sir? Uh, what have I been watching? I watched um, the first seven episodes of Jupiter's Legacy. I've heard that's not great. The reviews really? are mixed. I'm having a good time with it. Hmm. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's what people expect. I think people go into it thinking it's going to be Marvelized, and it's not. It's it's very Mark Miller. Yeah, and yeah. I'm actually surprised. Um, I'm not a huge Josh uh, Dumal fan. Mm-hmm. Is that his last name, right? I have no idea. And and he does a surprisingly good job in this. And I don't know. I'm 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 having a good enough time, and I'm invested enough in it that I want to see it uh, through to the end. It's asking some interesting questions. So yeah, I it's not what I expected it to be. You know, you and I both forgot to watch. By the way. What's that? The new the new season of Love, Death, and Robots. No, I haven't forgotten. I've 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 wanted to get it started, but I haven't been able to watch anything without interruption recently. And that's something I I want to sit down and watch uninterrupted. I just forgot it was out. Like I remembered last Friday, and I'm like I should watch this. And yeah, no, it came out go. last uh, I think last Thursday. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And then um, I watched uh, the the new Anthony Mackie movie, uh, Beyond the Wire, uh, which I think is also on Netflix, come to think of it. That was interesting, too. Not a Russo Brothers uh, level of storytelling, uh, but it asks some interesting questions and has some decent action and has a lot of uh, robots in it. So I'm kind of okay with all those things. All right, where should we move on to? Hmm. Want to just get video games out of the way? Uh, I haven't had a chance to play much of you. 
A little bit. Uh, I bought the the two expansions I didn't have for Jurassic World Evolution got really cheap, so I bought them both. I've been kind of playing through them. I've been kind of like trying to savor them because I realize I'm going to run out of content if I blow through them too fast. So I'm I'm just like enjoying it for what it is. Uh, And then the other thing, I am on day 167 of my Ring Fit Adventure, which there you go. And I'm done. But I, I literally play that almost every day of the week. You, it, I don't if like we go do a family outing where I'm walking around a lot because I figure I get my exercise in doing that. But like we went to the beach and I didn't do it that day because we ran around on the beach with children and played ball and such. And I built a sandcastle. But there you go. What have you been playing? Well, uh, not a whole lot either. I just haven't had a ton of time. Um, the weather's been really nice here, so I've been trying to get out on my kayak as much as possible. Yeah, the uh, the old game Psychonauts uh, from the original Xbox was released on uh, Game Pass, so I picked that up and uh, had started to play through it and forgot how absolutely charming and lovely it is. And then, yeah, I played through the in- entirety of the story mode for Mortal Kombat 11 and the expansion and had a great time doing it and have come to the conclusion that the guys that wrote the movie should be fired and the guys that wrote the game should be asked to write the next movie. Yeah, you said that last week, too. Yeah, they can fix it. They can fix it. They're good at what they do, and they 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 get that you just need to embrace the wackiness that is the mythos. Don't fight it. Don't try and make it anything better or different. Just embrace it. Lean into it. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's that's it for video games for me. I haven't had a chance to play much of anything. It's you know, been... looking over your list, it's shocking. Have you, like, honestly read nothing? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I forgot to put uh, my book. Well, you don't have to put it in. Just tell us about it. I finished what I talked about last episode uh, in regards to books. And so I picked up the original Dracula, Bram Stoker from the 1800s. And let me tell you, it's been a couple years since last time I had a chance to sit down and read it. And I am having a great time because 1800s English is spectacular like what a spectacular expression of the english language we have lost so much charm and wordsmithing yeah i i miss it it makes me just miss it and yeah i've just been chewing through through dracula good old dracula um i'm at the part now where um uh lucy has begun to uh fall ill and they are chasing around after the boxes of earth so i'm about two-thirds of the way through it just shy of the end yeah, yeah, it, it it rolls pretty fast after that. It's a good book. You know, I've read other Bram Stoker books, and I almost think Bram Stoker didn't... Like, that whole theory in Dracula Redacted that, you know, it's some sort of report, you know, that's based off of real life, it's starting to ring more and more true, because I don't know if you've read, like, In the Layer of the White Worm or any of his other books, but uh, I... I don't know what he was smoking or, you know, like the London fog that was just so like did to his brain to actually, you know, write Dracula and not write garbage like his other books. But yeah, Dracula is so much better than anything else he, he did. Like so I, I much better. I happened. I blacked out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I mean, because like like Dracula is amazing. It's got it's got really interesting subtext. You know, if you go looking for it, like there's stuff it's saying things, you know. Yeah. Agreed. And and there, there's a sur- there's a surprising lack of kind of some of the traditional tropes that you would expect from a book of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Because, okay, so I, I, given this is my professor talking because I did a horror lit uh, 
class in college, but I, I think he's right. Do, do you know what the central theme of that book is? Or at least his, have I told you this theory before? No, I don't think he ever told me what his theory was. Okay. Well, the, I, I agree with it. The, uh, the theory is it's, uh, mon- modernity, modern, modernness. I don't know. I don't know what the word modernity. That's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's modernity versus the supernatural. Because like, if you pay attention, the only person who writes things down in like a journal, uh, I think it's Van Helsing, and he writes letters. Actually, he doesn't. He doesn't have no, a lot Van, of direct Van voice. Van Helsing in it. is all. Um, I guess he does journal entries too. Yeah, but most of it is the Journal of Doctor Seward, which he records on wax cylinders. Se- Seward is Seward is by far the the most uh, populous portion of the book, like by far. Yes. Uh, Mina Mina is letters. Uh, no, no. Mina keeps a, a diary too. She it, Mina is a combination of diary and letters. But she writes it on the typewriter. Yeah, modernity. And then Jonathan writes in shorthand in his yeah. in his journal. Even even the main characters, they are incredibly modern. You know, they're they're using modern convenience to to write their stuff down. You know, and I don't know. It's just it's it's an interesting thought that you know, like well, th- think about the time period it was written in, man. It's the m- middle of the industrial revolution, and and society, much like our society in the '90s, is going through a radical shift a right, rapid right. and radical shift towards a technology-based society from what had been the norm for hundreds if not thousands of years i mean like let's face it yes technology absolutely evolved things evolved but the rate that things evolved with took a rapid and sudden upswing uh, in the industrial revolution and we haven't seen that uh, up until just recently where we're seeing another one with the the information technology that's coming around Right, right. Like these, these, these sorts of events don't happen often, and when they happen, they they reshape society in a major way. And yeah, absolutely, I can embrace that theory. I think that's absolutely what it's about. Yeah, and and the the simple fact of the matter is they almost lose because of it because their modern sensibilities cannot handle the supernatural creature. In fact, the only reason they win is straight up because of Mina because Mina collates all their stuff and she gets the bright idea to do that. You yeah. know, but I don't know. It's 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 a really interesting book. Like it's. The folklore around it's interesting. Like, you know, it, it's just, yeah, there's just, there's a lot there. There's a lot, there's there a to lot mine. more under the hood than, than you would expect at first. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why that book holds up so well, because it's, it's got more to say than just like, Ooh, spooky tale, you know, G- given several other works that I've read, um, from that time period. Yes. It holds up spectacularly well. And many of the problematic tropes of the era are not included in the text. It, yes, it modernizes well. I mean, there's some old faction sexism, you know, like, oh, Mina yeah, has nope, an that's brain. there without a doubt. Still there. And you can tell that the author did not run any of his female perspectives by an actual woman. Well, there's there's a whole theory about that and the, the actor that he was the manager for. But we can get into that later. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's just it's an, it's a very interesting book. And it's also like one of the reasons why Frankenstein holds up, I think. Even though, like, you know, the other people who wrote stories at the same time who are arguably more famous than Mary Shelley, like, you know, the, you know, those, those aren't in the cultural zeitgeist now, but Frankenstein is. And it's because, you know, both those books have subtext and something to say. Yeah. And they're essentially tackling the same problem. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it still resonates. And maybe it resonates more now just, just for exactly what you said. And we are, we are so due for a good version of Dracula. I mean, for you know, like every every era's got one, you know, from um, 
Bella Lugosi to the Hammer one to the Francis Ford Coppola one to the unsung one. Uh, the the Franklin Jello one's actually surprisingly decent. But yeah, we haven't had a good version of Dracula in quite a while. Like something iconic, you know, something where like the Ford Coppola one, like his cast, like just embodies those characters these days, except for maybe Keanu. <laughs> I like Keanu, but I, I don't think he makes a good British man. I'm just going to say that. Well, I know that Universal's working on a, a version of Dracula. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, with us going through the information tech thing, updating that that idea to now where like all of our information stuff can barely deal with an old fashioned supernatural creature. I think there's something to that. Um, and that would be an interesting way to modernize it is, oh, you know, yeah, instead no, of it would be absolutely fascinating. And and it's it's, you know, now is the time to strike that hammer because the, the iron is hot. It, this is we we are experiencing right now. We are in the midst of something as revolutionary as the Industrial Revolution was. Mm -hmm. And we're not through it. Like, if anything, it's still the, the acceleration is still occurring. And yeah, now we're yeah. dealing with the the societal impact of it as we watch you know, what can happen when, when social media is it kind of spins out of control. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know, I know Universe was working on a Dracula movie. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, I think it's with Karen Kusama, I think, if I remember correctly. It's, it's with Blumhouse, who hmm. did The Invisible Man. I remember reading an article about it recently. Well, hopefully they, they do something good. Yeah, here's hoping, man. Like, it, it like I said, the text holds up very, very well. It does. It does. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, shall we uh, move into? I think the only thing we have left is RPGs and uh, video, or uh, pardon me, board games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we're gonna talk about the RPG later. So why don't we just move on? <laughs> yeah, we played some Delta Green. It was great. We're gonna talk about it a little bit this episode. See you in a few segments. Until yeah, yeah. then, let's talk about board Sorry, games. You by the way, Jonathan, I, I apologize for my laptop breaking. We were supposed to do Title Blades this time, but my laptop broke. And I yeah, so I think fixed. we had announced it in the last episode, too. Um, little little minor structural change here. Uh, we were going to do a board game and then return to Delta Green in next episode, but uh, Robert had a technology failure, which meant that um, uh, he couldn't jump on and test it uh, with me. And this is a game that I know he's going to like very much because it reminds me of some things that we've played that he liked very much. So yeah, I, I uh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that we, we hit pause on it. Yeah. I mean, tabletop simulator works, but the frame rate is abysmally low, especially when you move the camera. <laughs> like I was fooling around with it and I was like overshooting things I was moving towards because like, you know, I couldn't, yeah, it was, it was just frustrating. So well, to give you, hopefully to, to give you a little peek at uh, the, the near future, we've got title blades lined up. Um, I believe we're going to try and do that next, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the plan. Yeah. And then we've got uh, Hadrian's wall and then warps edge from Scott Alms uh, on deck. There you go. So you and I have been continuing to play welcome to it's a lovely game. Our Man. game this time is incredibly weird incredibly weird yeah, just the, and i the, seem to be the only one that can can capitalize on it this time go figure i'm not too far behind you i'm not too far behind you you're you're like at 89 last i checked and i'm in like 85 or something like that but yeah everybody else is like 10 points behind me yeah it's really strange that i i don't know why this this particular game has been totally zipping right along for me sorry i am at 83 and according to this you are at 87 but that doesn't factor in your most latest turn so who knows yeah exactly I will take my number two finish because it'll raise my MMR and I will get cool stuff. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Whatever. Win away, my friend. Just make sure I get second. 
<laughs> and then you and I, uh, before my my uh, before my laptop broke, we played Blitzkrieg. Which yes. okay, so when you said that, I almost threw up in my mouth a little bit because um, my dad had a board game called Brit Blitzkrieg, which was one of those old timey World War II games with like seventeen thousand chit- chits and, and oh, all yeah, of this yeah, nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I thought you were recommending that, and I I was just like. No offense to my father, but that is that is not my cup of tea. <laughs> but no, that is not what we played. We played uh, what would you? Call, it's, it's a, it's like a. It's a tile building game. So you've you've got a bag, yeah. uh, filled with tiles, and those tiles have either um, air units. You know what? You know what? Or land you. Hold on. How how old is this game? Uh, like a year or two. It's not very old. So maybe since you and I played it, we should deep dive it someday soon. I would not be opposed to that. It's an interesting game. Yeah, I agree. And and we both have good things to say about it. Maybe we should save it for a deep dive because it's one of those rare things we've actually both played. Maybe we should have done that this time instead of our plan. But oh well. It, we are in it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little late to hit the abort button. We're recording the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. World War II in 20 minutes. Blitzkrieg was 2019. Yeah, last year. No, two okay. years ago. Excuse me. Two years ago. So you, because I couldn't show up, you and Ray played another game that you have. Yeah, we we were gonna play Title Blades, but Ray wants to try it um, with at least three players, which um, I I am I'm wholeheartedly suggesting to him because uh, Title Blades, when you play with um, two players, you have a an AI player, and so mm-hmm. inherently that kind of like creates a weird situation that yeah, yeah. you know it, it, you're never gonna get human thought, so we decided to try something else and we whipped out Dune Imperium, uh, which I have been saving Dune Imperium and the Dune board game for Dunapalooza. Uh, what'd you call it earlier? Uh, the Dune, Dune Stravaganza. Dune Stravaganza, yeah. Dunapalooza, yeah. Dune Stravaganza, which will be coming in September. So mark your calendars, Kang. We're going to be talking about a lot of Dune because the movie comes out in October and leading up to that movie, we're going to be talking Dune, the board game, Dune Imperium, the card, uh, the deck builder, and of course, Dune, the RPG. So those things are coming too, but not for a couple months. Uh, but yeah, we, we whipped out Imperium and spoiler alert. Wow. Yeah, wow. you wouldn't shut up about it. You would not shut up about it. I don't want to go into too much detail because we're going to be covering it very soon. But I will say this. You can tell that this game was meticulously tested and balanced it sits upon a razor's edge like few games do i am so impressed and that's all i'll say tune in for the review in september unless of course the rona makes dune slip back again in which case i might scream a little bit cry and throw a fit and then we'll do it anyway all right and the same deal with hadrian's wall we're going to deep dive that so you can't talk about it but you played yeah yeah I, i started playing through hadrian's wall um uh, some uh, welcome to DNA in there. So, uh, hmm. yeah, keep that in mind. So, yeah, I've uh, been playing that, and that's uh, I think that's about it, yeah? Yeah, I think we're done. 44 oh, minutes, yeah. a, sh- a short record for us. Impressive. Well, <laughs> oh, you think this one was I short? didn't talk Just about my reading. I... When we have nothing to talk about. I didn't talk about my reading. I'll make it short. Oh, it's Casilda's song. Fire it away, fire it away. It's Casilda's song. It's more Yellow King nonsense. It's good. It's it's a horror anthology, like a bunch of short stories written by uh, woman authors, which is interesting. I can uh, get behind that. 
Yeah, yeah. The it, it it's got an interesting point of view. I will leave it at that because we're we're on our way out of the segment, and I I don't want to spoil all the stories. They're quite good, and I'm going to steal stuff from at least one of them because there's a really good creepy moment in one of them. Fair so, enough. Yeah, yeah. That's going to end up in impossible landscapes. <laughs> all right. Well. That brings us to the end of this segment, which means it's time for a short, short break, which um, with the amount of caffeine I've consumed in the last 20 minutes, it's probably a good idea. And yes, we will return in just a few moments with the wisdom of crowds. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. Welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about all the fun and interesting news that, well, frankly, should be here but isn't because apparently we are not just in a drought. We are in a drought within a desert within a drought. Yeah, I, ha- I have one story. First of all, Stonemeyer Games is announcing a brand new expansion for Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. This is, of course, uh, Between Two Castles, Secrets and Soirees. So this is going to take the player count from two to seven all the way up to one to eight. Uh, The solo mode is going to be implemented using the same Automa system uh, like other Stonemaier games. Uh, Big fan of the one in um, Scythe. Uh, There's a couple of additional things that are in there uh, beyond just the player count change. Uh, there's going to be a variant where you construct the, your own castle uh, with no collaboration around the table. Uh, there's a couple new rooms. There's activity rooms, secret rooms, ballrooms, a new throne room, lots of bonus cards, and the expansion comes with a whole game tray system uh, with lids, and they're designed to fit inside the original box. So it's basically meant to be integrated into the uh, the whole thing. That's cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. This is the same two designers as the um, as the base game, uh, Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. Uh, and art fee, um, art is by Laura Bevon. Wow, that's a mouthful. Wow. <laughs> Agnieszka Dobrowicka and Bart- Bartlomiej Kordowski. If you own the original game, you can find their names on your box because they worked on that one, too. Those are difficult names. There are a lot of consonants that I do not generally use in a sentence. You know, speaking of which, you told me to put something into these notes, and I completely forgot. Yes, did you put it in? I did not put it in. No, no. We should have talked about that at the top. your, Your struggles reminded me. One of our listeners, Adam, actually came through with a little bit of help on one of the Nordic names that I butchered last week. Hopefully there's somebody that can help me out with the names that I butchered this week. Exactly. Because I'm really bad at this. Yes, you are. You're terrible. You're better than me. I I shouldn't talk. Let's get into some of the Latin countries. That's where I excel. (laughs) So, uh, listener Adam came to me and let me know that the the weirdly shaped B is pronounced like it's two S's. So while it looks like it says clob... What it actually is saying is Kloss. Oh. That, that symbol is just telling you SS is the, the sound. 
I can so it. like he says to think of the adjective close where the s trails rather than the verb where it stops hard, which is actually very very helpful. So class. All right. All right. Watsy has announced in-store organized play is coming back, not just in Japan but everywhere, starting May twenty eighth. They're going to have a three-part promotion for your FLGS to fire it back up. On June 18th, a special foil fabled passage for people who spend $50 or more in sealed magic product, a.k.a. singles don't count here, people. You got to buy packs of cards or something. Starters. I don't know. Whatever you want. Two, quote, later in the summer, five special retro-framed cards for in-store event signups. And apparently these are, like, actually very nice cards. I've seen previews of them, and my buddy who plays magic was telling me, uh, one of them is actually a really expensive card, so that's actually kind of cool. And three, FLGSs can run drafts with special mystery draft convention packs, which randomly contain playtest cards for a more interesting and chaotic draft, which will be a, a specialized thing that they send out. So yeah, Watsi uh, pulling out some stops to get physical play back online, which is pretty cool. As always, individual results may vary uh, if your store is you know, still doing COVID restrictions. But yeah, if you want to play Paper Magic, uh, depending on your area... Uh, yeah, check with your, your FLGS. Well, you know what else has been suffering from COVID restrictions, Robert? Hmm. Theme parks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And kids love theme parks. And one of the theme parks that kids love is Disneyland. And one of the rides within Disneyland, and Disney World for that matter, that the kids love, is It's a Small World. <laughs> yep. And in this world, we can't go to It's a Small World because of this stupid virus. But now Funko Games got your back because if you've got kids, two to six of them to be exact, they can work in teams or cooperatively to match cards from their hands with the figures depicted from the magical, amazing world of It's a Small World. Yes, Funko Games is releasing a kids game based on the magical Disney theme park attraction. I can't tell you how much I hate that ride. That song burrows into your head and does not let go for days. It is a vile, terrible song. It is a it is a mind virus. Reminds me of that movie Pontypool. If you're trying to understand what it's like to read The King in Yellow or see the yellow sign in our world, that would be it. That's yeah, about as no, close that's as fair. we're ever going to get. That's fair. That is the yellow sign, actually, because I think <laughs> the sign is yellow. <laughs> So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the end of our new segment. If you want to just have an idea that's in your head and you can't get it out in a way that is humane or or sane, yeah, yeah. It's a small world after all. We'll do that to you. It's playing in my head right now. Yeah, playing and will be head. for the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to go listen to something, anything. Well, the nice thing is that we get to uh, salvage this rather short segment of the show because of the lack of news with part 27 in our 30-part series of No Time to Bond, where we are watching the 007 movies and a couple of extras in order of release date, except when everything goes wrong and we have recording difficulties and the Rona raises its ugly head and next thing you know... We're watching Spy last week, and now we're back. We're back with for the second time on Skyfall. So if you remember, <laughs> we were supposed to talk about this two episodes ago, but lo and behold, we had some technical difficulties, and we lost the whole segment, so we're here to talk about it again. Number 23 in the series of Bond movies, Skyfall. Go, Robert. Yes, last time we watched Skyfall, directed by Sam Mendes, had a budget of, quote... 
150 to 200 million dollars, end quote, because apparently nobody knows how much money they spent on this beast. It made 1.1 billion dollars. Hmm. And, and that's the most by a lot, right? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, all the Daniel Craig movies have been making progressively more and more money. But yeah, that's the uh, that, 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 that's, a, that's a bit of money. That is a bit of money. So where do we begin? Um, you know, I forgot to write this fun fact down, but I said it last time. Uh, as, uh, what's her face? Um, Judy Dench. She, her entire time that she is in this movie by itself is more screen time than Desmond Llewellyn had. Llewellyn, thank you, had in his entire run as Q. It's not just me, Robert. It's not just me. I never claim to be good at names. I defer to you all the friggin' time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just interesting. Like, and and you know, bravo to them. This is gonna be another one of those Daniel Craig Bond movies that we like generally. <laughs> Hopefully, Spectre will have something new to say. That's the only one I haven't watched. But yeah, yeah. This one. Yeah, this but you know what's interesting is this the 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 level of storytelling quality in this. Um, like the, the the jump from the first two films. The first one was excellent. The second one, a little step back, but still pretty competent. And this one is just, it's next level. It's You know, huge. it's funny. Like, I think Quantum of Solace actually has aged better than some of the other movies because the idea of fighting over natural resources like water, I remember people thought back in the day that was stupid. And it's kind of starting to happen because, you and know. Look at us now, buddy. Look at us now. Once again, proving that, that we are, are capable of so much more. But anyway, that's that's not Quantum of Solace's fault. Yeah, Skyfall. I have heard the complaint from people that this is not a very good Bond movie, and I will kind of agree. It does have it. It kind of agree. I will kind of agree because it's not a good Bond movie in the sense that it's not just a dumb a- action movie that you eat popcorn and watch Bond do cool stuff. Like this actually has like drama and like it really digs into the characters of of uh, M and. Uh, and Bond, it's it's like really good <laughs> on that level. No, this is this is the, the by far the the deepest exploration of of Bond's persona, is especially made interesting by by juxtapositioning it with his relationship with M, and and adding a villain uh, that is the kind of you know it reminds me of kind of Killmonger in the uh, the Black Panther movie. Where it's a villain that, that could have easily been this character had it not been for like one or two different choices. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting character piece. And I think if they did this all the time with Bond movies, it would get a little old because it is a little melodramatic. But I mean, drama is fun. And doing I, I could I could stand to do this like every third or fourth Bond movie, like have one that really dives deep and does something a little bit different just to kind of keep it fresh. Because like on a character progression front, this is the most interesting Bond has ever been because he's actually got like opinions and he cares about stuff, you know? Because in, in all the other movies, he's just like dude on a mission and half the time with Sean Connery or more than half the time with Sean Connery and some of the time with the other guys, he's just kind of like along for the ride while people do stuff around him. But this one, like Bond was, you know, he was he had a goal. He he, had, he was like on a quest and he, he cared about stuff and it was personal and and... I mean, yeah, that's that's something you can't say about a lot of Bond movies. It's not personal a lot of the time, you know. It's yeah. it's just super villainy heroics, and uh, yeah, this one it was like really personal for him, and it it was just really, really well done. I don't even know what to say about it besides it's uh, 
I guess it's also problematic because if you haven't watched the, the first two movies, it just it doesn't work. No, <laughs> like, and, and that's, like at that's, all. that's what I kept saying about Quantum of Solace. Like, you don't realize what a linchpin that film is uh, until you get to this movie, because this movie doesn't exist without the, the well, without the previous two, really. But I mean, Quantum is is the hinge that lets this one, you know, do its magical action. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's because they laid the groundwork in it because uh, I, I forget who directed the last one, but he just realized that Judy Dench is a good actress. So he kept like shoving her in more. Mm hmm. It was a good idea because it, without that movie, we don't get here because I think that's the movie where they realize that Craig and, and Judy Dench like really play well off of each other. And it, there there was something to mine there. And, you know, I mean, Judy Dench is getting old. I could see why they wrote her out of the series. She's been in it for, oh, gosh, like, what, 20 years now? Like, uh, 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 Goldeneye was like 94 or something, wasn't it? 96? Uh, 96. or 95. Let me look. Hold on. Uh, Goldeneye was 1995. So at this point, she has been doing it for, yeah, the, uh, what, what year was this? I think it was 2000, just shy of 20 years. I think it was like 2014 or 2015. Uh, Skyfall. 2012. Okay, so, so yeah, yeah, just shy of 20 years. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I mean, she's, it It was really good. It was It was a very fascinating action drama. Yeah, you know, there's there's more to it than than just this too. Like, there's there's also just the fact that the movie is amazingly shot. Like everything about it is is just remarkable, and just also I think has probably one of the best cold opens ever in a Bond movie. I mean, that's just just an intense sequence. Yeah, yeah, where he he dies. Yeah, quotes. Yeah, I don't I don't know what else to say. Like, it's just good. I mean, by far, if you look at the entire catalog of Bond films, there are some great films in there, but this is by far the best movie of the bunch, without a doubt. And it's a shame uh, Spectre isn't good by all accounts. I'm we'll find out. I've never watched Spectre it. Spectre ages. Yeah, I remember people really not liking it. And I know why, because I got it spoiled. It's it's because of, you know, it's comparison to Austin Powers. But I think we're talking about next movie, which means we should probably move on, because I, th I th yeah. I don't know what to say about this one. Like, I, I literally can't. It's like, it's good. Like, it's what can I say about it? It's good. film. Like, it, it's a fantastic <laughs> yeah, like, character exploration. It's a fantastic cap to the first three films. I mean, like, there's just, there's so much to love here. Yeah. Go watch it. That's all I got to say. Go watch it. I'm done. I'm done. Go watch it. And watch, actually, well, watch Casino Royale and then Quantum of Solace and then this movie, because it's worth it. It's worth the journey. Well, that brings us to the end of our No Time to Bond segment, which means it is, of course, time for A Year in the Life. This is where we put on our way back glasses and we look way back to episode 87 this time around, which was, uh, what was, it? oh, wow. Okay. This was an interesting episode. I'm glad we're talking about this. I was just talking about this with a buddy of mine the other day. Yeah, you just talked about it in the last episode, too, because you didn't realize it was coming. Forgot My Dice, episode 87, deliciousness out of basic elements. So I apparently was just starting my journey with sourdough bread. Uh, we played Tabletop Simulator on both... Um, well, we played uh, we played Scythe on Tabletop Simulator, but we'd also played it on this point on um, just the digital version that uh, you can get on the Steam workshop. Or the Steam... The Steam. The Steam Steam, not even the workshop. Yes, this was an officially licensed Tabletop Simulator module. And we, we, we did that against the official Scythe um, app, I guess you would say. Yeah, and uh, spoiler alert, 
uh, we liked on Tabletop Simulator a lot better because uh, the tactileness of the board games is uh, superior. Yeah, it's lost on the app version. And and mm-hmm. it, it's interesting because that you don't realize just how much that tactile nature of the board game adds until that's removed. And, and I think the other problem with it is that so much of it is automatic that it takes away a little bit of the um, enjoyment of your move, right? When everything happens automatically. Well, and based off of where the camera is, it's really hard to like keep an eye on what the other people are doing. Yeah, that, and that the, was a major gameplay issue because you really don't know what your opponents are doing. And inside, that's important. That is really yeah. important. It was real important. So, yeah, no, it, it was just interesting. Like this, this started our, uh, our well, actually, we were well into our, our Rona kick of uh, playing games on Tabletop Simulator at this point. But yeah, no, it was, it, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It was, it was a fascinating episode. I, I agree with you. It's actually one of the more interesting things we've actually managed to do on this podcast. Like we actually had something interesting to say. I don't, I, I've never heard of people comparing the digital version and talking about, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the whole idea of like manipulating objects versus having things manipulated for you and what that adds to an experience. Like that's heady stuff, man. That's like <laughs> philosophy. And shit, you know? Uh, but yeah, it does make a big difference in this. And like I, I, every time, Every time I play the app version of a of a board game, with a, a couple of rare exceptions, I, I come away with the, basically the, the same thing: is that it just works better uh, in the physical form, and that they, there there it has to be because there is a a some kind of tactile feedback that is is part of the the joy of the experience. And not just the joy, you know, like the. Um it just is the experience. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, it was much fresher on our mind back then. Go, go listen to episode 87. If yeah. you want to hear us. I'm, I'm very proud of that uh, comparison. That. I think that was one of the more interesting, different ideas that we've had. So let's see what else we we're talking about. Oh, I was playing animal crossing cause it was early in the pandemic. So of course I was <laughs> bad boys for life. Apparently one of us watched that had to oh, be that was me. That. Wow. Still reeling about how spectacularly bad that film was. Uh, wizards had uh, put their chocolate in their peanut butter and gave us uh, cutie marks and dragons. So my little pony mixed with D and D. So I don't even remember what that was, but that's funny. Uh, we watched Moonraker as part of no time to bond. Oh, that one. Didn't yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Scythe, Serenity, Star Trek Discovery, Streets of Rage 4 had just come out, apparently. Oh, the the DLC for that just came out. I need to pick it up. I haven't had a minute to do it. Yeah. And I I, I guess the uh, Kickstarter for Technocracy Reloaded was going because I mentioned that at some point, which I just got that book. I think I talked about it last time. But yeah, good stuff. Good episode. Very, very good. I think that one's aged well still because it's. It's not just about like a board game that's not new anymore. It's about, you know. Yeah, we talked about that already. Don't need to go into it again. Good times. Good times. I haven't listened to that one. I should go back and listen to that one. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this incredibly short segment. Thanks to our complete lack of any kind of news. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we start hearing soon. We should be hearing soon, right? I mean, stuff's going to be hitting stores for holiday in the not so distant future. Yeah, but Gen Con is is pretty late in the year this year. It's going to be another weird year, man. Like, I don't think anybody knows what to do right now. They don't know how to market. They don't know how to bring stuff out. Like, it's just weird. And I feel really bad because I feel like a lot of good games are maybe getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, And I would have covered Gen Con 
coming back, but uh, by the time this episode comes out, the, it'll probably already be sold out. <laughs> but yeah, tickets go on sale this Friday, Jonathan, or I, this past Friday. I'm not ready, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Even fully vaccinated, like, I went to a restaurant for the first time last week, and I gotta tell you, like, it was fine when it was lightly uh, filled, but then the lunch rush came in, and I started to get anxious, and I just had to go. Yeah, I'm 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 in no rush right now at all, <laughs> at all. I miss movies, man. I do miss movies. That's that's the big thing I miss. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Regardless, I think I had a prediction about that that I'm gonna lose. So that's fun. My my winning streak continues. <laughs> I don't even man. That's so long ago. How can you remember that? I I I don't know. Oregon edibles? I, I got nothing. <laughs> Maybe I don't drink Texas radioactive water. Or wait, I don't think they ever built that toxic dump underneath the aquifer, because that's a good idea. <laughs> well, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive. And this time we are doing part two of a back-to-back on the Delta Green. No, it's part one. It's part one. See, last one was... This is impossible. We're doing impossible. This is part one, sir. This is a new thing. We're trying out something new. We're doing something new. We've we've reviewed role playing games before. This is we're venturing into new territory. Hopefully, it doesn't suck. I'm gonna need your help on this, Jonathan. You can't just be a smartass with my segments. When do I ever not help you? I know you wanna. You like being a smartass when I'm taking the lead, man. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You need to rein it in. We need to work on this together. I got you, boo boo. But come back and listen. We'll see. We'll see. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And, of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our next segment that is, of course... Our deep dive. And what are we deep diving today, Robert? So we're going to do something a little different. Uh, we're going to deep dive Impossible Landscapes, uh, the adventure for Delta Green, the role-playing game that we have been playing. Why are we doing this, Jonathan? Why? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I've been on the Reddit, and I've been talking out loud about running this game, and people have been gobbling it up. Like, like people are like really interested in what I have to say, you know, because they're, they're getting ready to run this game. And I, it occurred to me, Instead of me just typing nonsense on Reddit, maybe you and I should talk about it. Because you were playing in it, and I am running it, so maybe we have interesting things we can say about it. Yeah, and that, that gives us two very interesting 
opinions on it because you know as well as I, when you run a module and when you're in the module, those are two very different universes. So uh, I think our plan is as we complete chapters of it, we'll we'll do an episode like this. So we just started part two. There's four parts. I mean, this one took us like six or seven sessions, so it's not going to be anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's the plan. And then maybe we'll do a part five. Yeah. Where and when we do part two, I'm, I'm actually planning on reading through the module after we've completed it so that I can, you know, get a different perspective because I'm so curious about the structure. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking maybe that could be like a fifth part. Like you'll read it and then we can kind of talk about the entire experience. Cause there's some under the hood stuff that I'm not going to mention because it's spoilers for you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And that's, that, that was, you know, like, I think you and I were texting back and forth about this and <laughs> that was my main concern. I don't want it spoiled. I don't know. Here we go. Do, do you want to read the game description or shall I? Sure. I never get to do this. I'm, I'm done. Okay. You know, I'm done. Fear is a fractal, and your world is a lie. A horror freed from an antique book reverberates through reality, shaking things, reordering them, and making them run like wax. But don't despair. There is hope. A king waits for us. Beyond the tumble-down facade of the world, through the twists and tunnels of the human imagination, past the edge of everything sane, the king of all things waits in Carcosa. There... And only there is the answer to everything. I like that copy. It's creepy. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's good. Stuff. All right. So first things first, super ooper duper spoiler alert. We are going to talk about this adventure. If you plan on playing in it, do not listen to it. We are going to talk about it in detail. Yep. Abort. Abort. Yeah. Abort. If you're planning on running this, welcome. If you are new, which hopefully this will generate some new people. Welcome to the podcast. We usually do board games, but we're funny. So you should listen to us. I am in what they call the Deadwood. It's not that we never do RPGs. We, we usually do board games. I'm the Deadwood. I'm the straight man. And you are the banana man, Jonathan. You're the wild zany one. That's the role we have taken. It used to be the opposite, but then we flipped. It's it's weird how that works out. Yeah, you know, we found our place. Yeah, yeah. We found our place. Maybe we'll trade back at some point. Who knows? It just It's the evolution of the show, my friend. It's just bananas. <laughs> and now you're walking. It's just bananas. <laughs> I'm walking with bananas. <laughs> it's bananas. Anyway, so I figured we would start this off with uh, a brief kind of summary of what happens. I'm going to have a hard time not slipping back in. I know. Place. I know. I'm trying, man. I figured this is what I didn't want you to do earlier, Jonathan. <laughs> and so it begins. <laughs> All right. So I figured we should we should talk a little bit about the just the structure of the adventure. Uh, just the beginning, middle and end of it. Do you want to start by talking about the fact that this covers multiple distinct time periods? Sure. I mean, that, that's part of it. Yeah. Specific fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, the very first adventure, which is called the night floors starts off in the good old year of 1995 on August 12th, I think 1995, right before windows seven. Ooh, I just graduated high school, man. That was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a new version of windows was just due out. We looked at like what, what the news was that month <laughs> and there was like, Oh wow. Windows. Yeah. Window windows 95. It just launched. <laughs> um, but yes. And sadly a large percentage of the world is. Still <laughs> I know full circle. I told you your world is a lie, Jonathan. <laughs> the players play delta green agents uh they get invited to what they call a night at the opera and uh yeah you get summoned to uh washington square in new york city which is uh uh if you've seen that park with that big arch thingy 
Uh, that's that park. And it's interesting that it starts off there because the book, The King in Yellow by Chambers starts off there too, uh, in Washington Square in the very first story. So I don't think that's a coincidence. And I actually like that. I like those little details. I think they're cool. You haven't read The Repair of Reputations, have you, yet? Is that next on your list? No. Uh, I think it's one or two down. It's getting yeah. close. But yeah, spoiler alert, uh, that's where the first story takes place, or at least the beginning of the first story. Basically, uh, a young lady named Abigail Wright, uh, she disappeared uh, a while ago, actually, before the, the game starts, like in June. And her credit card got used out of state, so they bring in the FBI. And then as the FBI was investigating, they found a, quote, occult symbol in her apartment, and they and that was when Delta Green kind of came out of the woodwork to figure out what was going on. And uh, yeah, you get tasked with uh, just collecting evidence in her uh, apartment. Uh, that's your cover. You're like FBI people collecting evidence. But the real thing is you're supposed to figure out if Abigail disappeared due to something unnatural or if uh, and if or if it was mundane. And if uh, if it was unnatural, you're supposed to put a stop to it. And that's that. And then, Jonathan, what happens when you walk into the, the McAllister building where she lives and you walk into her apartment? Nothing good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at things. <laughs> so what, what greets you in Abigail's apartment? Yeah, so you walk into the apartment and it's just like, imagine like a ransom note gone absolutely haywire uh, or like, remember the notebook in seven? That's kind of like what I had going through, <laughs> except that it's across all of the walls. Yeah. Yeah, there is, instead of like cutting out magazine articles and stuff, she has just taken stuff, uh, a, a, a large amount of stuff. Uh, they describe medical prostheses, so like, you know, fake limbs, wheelchairs, random books, images, furniture, and she has just glued it to every wall in her apartment in a, in a pattern that actually does start it's driving like a, you insane. Like a weird diorama. Yeah, thing. and it actually does start driving you insane. <laughs> because everything is module drives you insane yes <laughs> i immediately show the book <laughs> or the picture with the cloud <laughs> <laughs> that was perhaps my finest moment of rpging ever <laughs> i immediately show the picture to trevor <laughs> is this your clown and as you are there and as you are going through <laughs> stuff you discover clues that seem to not make any sense because they come across space and time like the aforementioned picture of two people with a clown arm around them like where's this clown from and then the other tenants of the building of which there are four are a little off would you say a little seems kind oh oh and they so, all refer to the night manager who doesn't exist yeah so yeah basically like we start finding some really, really weird stuff. There's pieces of um, a play that seems to be written about the people in the building, uh, almost like somebody's taking notes about everyday life stuff. Uh, but it all has this very sinister aspect to do it. You, do you want to hear something fun, Jonathan? Yeah. The adventure comes with one page of that play. The other ones are either my fabrication or things that I pulled off of Reddit and that I altered oh, that's slightly. That's super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. And, and all of the pages you found that looked like that, I did that. <laughs> good for you man that looked really good yeah thank you yeah it, it matched because I, I gave you guys the first one the first one was from the stuff that you get as part of the adventure but yeah i i found um i found like eight or nine other pages that somebody had wrote and i didn't like some of them so i cut them and i would written one myself and then i yeah i i passed those out to you my favorite one that you found was a conversation that you guys had interrogating one of the residents yeah, that was actually one of the neatest things <laughs> 
we found a page of the play that was basically the dialogue that we had exchanged with each other in character. So it was basically like somebody had listened to our conversation and then jotted it down and said, look, the play is done. Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole thing is very unsettling. There's a very distinct, like David Lynch feel to this entire component of the, of, of the module. Yes. And, and everything that you find could potentially drive you nuts and everybody's acting just off kilter. Like they're hiding something, but not really. And then on top of it, they're always constantly referring to people that don't seem to exist within your world, including the night manager who lives on a floor that isn't even available in the building. When, when they refer to him, they say he lives on the fourth floor, but there is no fourth floor. It's a three-story building and then the roof, which you can yeah. walk into. <laughs> so so there's an extremely just generally unsettling feeling to be had the entire time you're going through. And actually, one of the key things that's, that came up in this that uh, we'll get back to is you guys found a airline ticket uh, made out to a guy named Michael Whitwer, and it was an airline ticket from 2015. So stuff from the future, Not too. Not author and friend of the show, Michael Whitwer. Yes, yes, no. Fictional character, Michael Whitwer. So, Jonathan, what is up on that fourth floor when it appears? Why is it called the night floors? So, the fourth floor is basically only appearing at night, and once it's there, it it's bigger than the building. Like, yes. it just gets kooky. Like, it's the, like, it's like the Doctor Who floor. It, it's larger than the building is large in terms of both, like, diameter and 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 height and everything and then on top of it there seems to be like an entire cast of characters that exists only within this this partial realm i guess you would say yeah you guys ran into there's a few well there's the encyclopedia salesman who you never walked ran into but you heard a lot about the night manager mr castain henry 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 not henry henry castain and then there's the uh, the brush salesman uh michael or mark rourke who is a, a loudmouth and kind of a, kind of a jerk, <laughs> and the dog? There's a dog up there too, but you never ran into the dog. You heard about yeah, the dog? I was gonna say though. I don't think yeah, I don't remember the dog. Uh, he, the dog appeared in one of the pages of the play, and you heard someone playing ball with the dog up on the fourth floor at night one time when you were in there. Oh, that's right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you guys didn't really run into the dog too much, although you could if you if if I'd wanted, it just didn't come up. So, yeah, and then the, the thing you forgot to mention is also the fourth floor is um, not fixed in time and space because you guys, like, went around a corner to to go visit the night manager, and when you came back around the corner, the uh, the smoking room where Mark was hanging out was just gone. And uh, Yeah, you, like, the, the structure continues to change as you explore it, and and it's, it, I forget, it's, that, it's also uh, you're able to exit into a different year, right? Sometimes, yeah. Like this and, is a whole uh, lot of not good going on. So you guys found a lot of stuff up there. Uh, the first encounter you had was one of my favorites. Like a waiter walks up to you with a tray full of uh, gelatin snacks of various sorts. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't speak English. And uh, inside all of them are golden bugs that he's trying to get you to eat because why not? And you guys found a lot of stuff. Uh, do you remember the room that had um, the mannequins in it or the, the, the marionettes in it that were dressed That's as you never guys? That's a good room. I, yeah, no, get me out. That is not in the thing. You know who, you know who made that up? My daughter, Eowyn did. No, it was Eowyn. I was telling her about the thing. We don't, we don't like to go there. (laughs) Um, my favorite one though, was the movie theater or the movie, the projection room where, um, it'll probably be the picture that's associated with this because I got so inspired by the image. I, I had to make it twice. 
but yeah, there's a projection room randomly that you hear and it's playing, there's a movie playing out in it. And then out in the theater is like the King in yellow, just sitting and watching. And it was, it was a good moment. It was a good moment. And yeah, that was one of my favorite moments of the, of the whole thing. Yeah. It's not good. So the way that you escape from there is you, uh, somebody has to take lead and the person who take lead actually has to fail sanity checks to, to find the way out, not pass them because why not? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to fail them. Very specifically, you have to fail them. Um, and I'll let you on a, on a secret. Uh, there's a minimum number of encounters you have to have in there. And then after that, you can start finding your way out. And if you don't find your way out, then you get another random encounter. In the book, there are like a good like 20 or 30 of them. When in doubt, this is what I would suggest. This is what I did actually for these encounters. I, I just made them into a table and I rolled it randomly because I couldn't decide what I wanted to do because some of them are just weird and creepy. Some of them have, you know, pay off in the future. And I, I just, I, it, it's kind of overwhelming. And that is one thing I would definitely say about this, this adventure is if when in doubt, because there's a lot of sort of weird stuff that can happen, just roll it randomly and roll with it because, uh, it, it'll probably work out for the best, you know? And if, and if there's a one that, you know, you really, really want to do, uh, then just make sure that one gets done. Like, obviously my daughter's room was going to make it in there because it was my daughter's room. I wasn't going to not run that, but yeah, you know, <laughs> and it was funny. I was telling her about that room and I was telling her about what I did with it. And, and she, it was really cute. She's like, I, you know, and I was telling her like the symbolism and stuff that I was going with. And she's like, she's like, I, she's like, you, you got all that out of my room. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, I, I, I do D and D and I stories and I read a lot, man. I, I, I know symbolism and stuff. She's like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm a cool dad. <laughs> Bitchin. <laughs> Okay, and so this is where we got to the first sort of, like, problem. Uh, I, I told you I would tell you about it later. Uh, so here it is. Uh, after you leave the night floors, the adventure assumes that you're going to burn the building down or do something at that point. Like, you're just going to say, like, nope, that's it. F this noise. <laughs> we, we got out of that hell, and we, there's no way we're going to go back. But the problem is, and I've heard this more than once uh, by people who have actually ran this adventure, not every group comes to that conclusion right then. And that is definitely what happened with our group. Uh, so everything that happened after that is not in the book, Jonathan. I had to come up with that to try to resolve things. And that is always the pitfall of the DM. Because the, the more you plan, the more people want to go off the rails. That's That's been my experience as a DM. Yes, I agree. So in our game, um, you guys had run into a weird bookstore owner whose name is Bob Roberts. And then uh, Bob called you guys in the night floors. Oh, because you guys went back in. You went in through the library. I forgot about that. Anyway, but yeah, you guys went back in and then you ran into Bob Roberts and then he led you out to his store because he's part of the night floors. And then I had you guys time travel to 1955 or 1950, whatever, one of the two. And you killed the architect of the building that you learned about because, you know, you're like, that guy's an evil child murderer. Maybe that'll solve everything. And Bob's your uncle. You then just burn the building down and you reach that conclusion. That is the night floors in a nutshell. So, Jonathan... What, as a player, what do you need to do, do you think, to enjoy this work as a player? Well, you know, our, our group seems to be split on their experience, and a couple of us are really, really enjoying it. And I think what you have to do is embrace the fact that you're not going to be comfortable and that it's not clear where leads or where the module is going to take you. It's it's like surfing a wave on the ocean, you know, like water's going to do what water's going to do, uh, especially under the, the influences of, of everything going on. And you just have to kind of roll with it. You know, you, you can't force it to do what you want it to do. You have to be flexible in how you, you apply your skill set to it. 
Yeah, one of the things that both you and my wife have mentioned is like all of the because you guys have been doing a lot of research and you've been finding out a lot about the history of the building and and the weirdness that's been going back a long time uh, relating to a lot of this stuff. And you and Gina read it and you really enjoy it. You think it's interesting. But uh, at least one of the other players in the game isn't as interested in it. They have just sort of referred to it as flavor text and not really paid attention to it, which I I mean, every player is going to do something a little bit different. But yeah, that that is something I would tell people to do is you, part of it is you just need to sort of enjoy the ride and and, you know, get into the nitty gritty of it because. I mean, it's a story, right? I mean, it's 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 about the King in Yellow. It's about a play. You know, it's about a story. It's a story about a story. Like, yep. you know, part of it is you 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 have to get into the the story aspect of it. If you're not getting into that, then it's just not going to work. I'm glad you're having fun though. I'm glad you like all the timeline shenanigans that I've been writing down. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's been super fun. Like I'm I I don't mind the being lost. I mean, to me, that would be the characters. You're, you you have to embrace what the character is going through and and just not try and, and, you know, put your own will and order into it. Anything else you need to do to enjoy this player, Jonathan? Remember to get into your character. I mean, like that's, that's, that's the thing. Like everything that I, all the decisions that I make within the, the module, I'm trying to do within the confines of the character that I've created to, to make that character. Gosh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like feel like they are obligated by their own characterization. Does that make sense to you? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you have to really in a module like this, especially in a world where you really have no idea what's around any corner because it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be more of the building you're in like that. That's not even guarantee at that point. Yeah. Um, you just have to embrace the, the flexibility of thought that needs to come with that. Like this is not a module for people that need a lot of guidance. And this is not a module for people that need to have their hand held this, which there's plenty of modules that do that. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just those types of players that, that, that need that structure are going to struggle with a module like this. This module is going to excel in the hands of players that are flexible in thought and okay with the weird. All right. So, so far, what has worked for you in the night floors? I mean, for, for me, it's, it's, it's all about ambiance, right? The ambiance really works. The decisions that, that have been made work with our different characters to make them give us an opportunity to be those people. I'm trying to think of specific scenes that worked well. I like the movie theater. I thought that was really cool. I really like where we left off last round. <laughs> but that's next time, or that's next adventure, yeah, so yeah. we'll talk about that later. I like the the in-between round research stuff a lot. That's been really exciting for me, even when it comes up dry. Like it, it's, you know, that's again, that's that's always the possibility that an investigator is going to come across that they're going to try and chase down a lead and realize there's no nothing to be had from that lead. And that's, you know, that's OK. Yeah, I just I, I like the mystery. I like piecing it together. I like putting all the like I feel like any given moment we don't know a lot. But when we get to the end of a module, we know more than we realized we did because we we just needed to put the puzzle together. Has there any, is there anything that hasn't worked for you in this so far? Uh, for me personally, no. Everything's worked really, really, really well. I I. But that said, I I have several people that I've played RPGs with that I know would would be frustrated right now and would be be struggling because they there's not a traditional structure to this. Right. The the, the module feels like from a design perspective that it was designed to be very, very flexible and, and give the DM a lot of flexibility in making their, um, making their adventure happen. And 
I'm just kind of I've been embracing that as much as I can, and I I I think I'm all the better for it. But it's just not going to vibe with people that need a more traditional three part narrative, I guess, for lack of a better term. All right. So for you, Robert, of course, remember the, the, the DM is called a handler in the Delta Green universe. What do you need to do to run this work as a handler? And, and can to, I put a secondary question on this before you sure, answer this? Sure. Do you think there is anything beyond standard prep that people need to do to get people in the right mindset now that you've been running this and you've seen how people react? I think you need to set expectations, right? Because um, I know when I pitched this, I said the Yellow King like True Detective and people were expecting True Detective out of this and it is not True Detective. Um, there's a lot more overtly supernatural stuff that's going on. The, you know, the timeline doesn't jump around. It, it's just got a very different feel. Uh, True Detective was a lot more grounded than this is. This is very surreal. Um, yeah. And, and so I, that was a mistake I made. There's a, li- a handy list of movies that do fit the bill that are in the book. And I would, you don't necessarily have to go watch them all, but that's, th- that's what I would use to pitch it. And, th- and the list is like The Shining, The Ninth Configuration, Jacob's Ladder, um, just weird, weird mind trippy movies like that, like the shining and you know, you can open a door and literally anything can be on the other side. And there is something scary about that. Cause you know, it's just the fear of the unknown and it, nothing, you know, not that nothing makes sense. Um, that's what I really like about the adventure. It, it does follow one of the things that I always say, like if there's a conspiracy or if there's a monster or anything, even if the players aren't ever going to find out about it, have it have its own logic because if it has its own logic, then things that happen will be consistent. And I think I've only screwed up on that once so far, but but I think that's really key because then when things happen, it seems like there there is method behind the madness, and I, I that makes it scarier. I, I, I yeah, think, in I my think opinion, the, like the, what you mean is like the rules don't have to be reality, but the rules have to be consistent, right? Is that what? You yes, mean? that's what I mean. Yeah, I also think that you do need to read the King in Yellow. Um, especially the first four stories in the book, the repair of reputations, the mask, uh, in the, in the court of the dragon and the yellow sign. Those are pretty foundational in this. There's a lot of references to those four stories within the text of the adventure. And I think you need to understand it. Cause like, for example, uh, one thing that I, I see all the time is people just assume that if you read the play, the King in yellow, you're going to feel compelled to, to put it on somewhere. And it's pretty obvious in those original stories and in some of the, the wider EU that people get it, that that's not the case, you know, and this goes into my other point of, uh, you need to know what the King in yellow is in your, in your universe. But like the play, the King in yellow and the yellow sign, like you, you've seen the yellow sign in this book. It's a, it's a rune. Like, uh, if, if I end up doing the, one of the movie theaters, it's in the top of the movie theater. Um, it's just, it's just a, it looks like a rune or a symbol of some sort. It's not scary. It's not menacing. You look at it and you don't, it's not mind bending. What those things are in that universe is it puts an idea in your head that is not yours. It is an alien thing. And you as a person trying to process that idea, different people process it in different ways. Yeah. For example, Abigail made her room into a crazy shrine to this. And there's method to that madness. Like being in that room drives you crazy because it's not, it's not random. There is, there's, there's method to her madness. Other people, uh, there's a, there's a character named Thomas Manuel. Who's a painter. He's one of the guys who lives in the building. At first he tried painting it out. And then eventually he had a canvas that was big and blank 
with nothing on it, which he said was his greatest work. And then after that, he was trying to like listen to stuff because he, he, he couldn't get it out in his paintings, you know, like he, he, yeah. he's having problems, tr- you know, processing it. Uh, there's an author named Roger Carcoon who he's, uh, you guys didn't like look at his computer and stuff, but he, he's writing really weird stuff because, you know, he used to be like just a fantasy author, but now he's, he's off on, on a completely weird tangent, kind of, kind of in the vein of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, um, from the shining. Like, uh, yeah, but he, he's trying to get this idea out of his head and he can't, he just can't process it. But yeah, that's the thing you got to remember. Um, actually in the history, um, there's a dude named Ian DeCraig who he saw, he saw the play, he saw the play put on and he's just a rich guy and he spent the rest of his life buying items from the play and trying to put the play back together because he never saw the last couple lines of it. And it's been his obsession to see that the rest of his life. But he's a rich guy. He doesn't want to put the play on. He just wants to experience it because he's, you know, he's a guy who money can buy anything. Those stories are foundational because in the stories, people handle that differently and handle the idea that that puts into their head differently. The Repair of Reputations handles that beautifully. It's a good story. I'm not going to spoil it here because you're going to read it and it's good. So, Robert. What works in the module? And I would caution you not to go too much into uh, mechanics since I would like to do a deep dive of that in the future. It's really different. It's not, if you've played a lot of Call of Cthulhu or Mystery or whatever, it's just really different. I think like you talked about that too. It, people are going to chafe under that. If, if, you're, if you're looking for something really different to run and experience, it is, it is a very different type of tale. It's really well written. Like the adventure itself is very fun to read. You know, there there is a through line. There is method to the madness even in it. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I can't wait to get to the end of this just so that I can crack it open and look at it from a mechanical perspective, having experienced it as a player. Like I'm, I'm so curious as to what. what yeah, well, and there's there's so much content that you'll just never see. I, I mean, they're okay. just like that's kind of yeah. cool in and of itself. I wouldn't say it's like replayable because it is in essence, I mean, kind of the same story, but like the bits and bobs of it can be very, very different between playing. And that's cool, you know, because then, you know, different people who experience it will have different reactions to it and different experiences. And, you know, you can't say that about every adventure. I mean, a lot of D and D adventures are just A to B to C to D. I think that's one of the reasons why people love curse of Strahd so much is because it's very open-ended and a little sandboxy and, you know, they have the the randomizer in there about where certain things are. And it really does change the game. And people people like that. People like having sort of a unique experience. And I think this, <laughs> yeah, Impossible Landscapes definitely gives you a unique experience. So that that is definitely what works. Okay, and what doesn't work? Okay, so this is the thing I struggled with with it because it, 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 it didn't dawn on me for a little while. I had to hear De- the, the author, Dennis Dittweiler, said it in a podcast. And uh, it, that's when it kind of j- sunk in. Uh, they mentioned it once on page 17 in, in it, and then it really doesn't come up again, which is to say, I think he put it best when he when he talked about it in the podcast. It was role-playing public radio episode 100 and blah. I, I forget which one. But he said, uh, Impossible Landscapes is basically a Lego set. There's a picture on the box, and you kind of generally are supposed to build it that way, but it you you can you know build what you want out of it too. Um, and like Lego sets, there's like a theme. Like if you buy a castle theme, you're not necessarily going to build a spaceship, although you could build a castle spaceship, I guess. But I mean, there, there will be a, a vibe to it, but your individual construction may vary. Um, my main problem with that is they bring it up once on page 17 and then it really doesn't come up again. And so when you guys throw me curveballs that go outside the scope of the adventure, I'm the one that has to, to pick up the pieces of that. 
Like, for example, and this is a big one, and we'll talk about it more next time, uh, what you guys did in this most recent adventure is not what was, you know, the adventure assumed would happen. Uh, the, advent- <laughs> the adventure assumed that you would poke around before you walked into uh, the next, the, the Dorchester wow. house. And I think that's a byproduct of, of some folks in our group wanting that structure and they, they finally had something they could sink their teeth into, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. I mean, you know, because, but again, I'm now having to take this Lego set and rebuild it like in reverse <laughs> because, you know, you guys are doing the plot air quotes out of order, at least out of order from the way the book presents it. But, you know, but that's the thing. Like I've said it a couple of times, like a couple more pages here and there describing what to do if things are different, like what to do if after your players walk out of the night floors that they don't immediately decide to burn the building down or just do something, you know, that they keep wanting to like have the answer given to them or, or find something that gives them a more clear direction. That definitely doesn't work. And also you got to remind your players, this is called Cthulhu. Like you're not necessarily ever going to get a good answer to something. Sometimes you just have to make a choice. That's the thing that doesn't work. You you really need to let your players know that you're, they're never, you're never ever going to get something presented to you that you will be absolutely sure is the best option. And that's by design. You just sometimes just need to make a choice and do something because doing nothing means bad stuff will happen. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. How do you want to wrap this up? Well, is there anything else you want to say about impossible landscapes that you, that we didn't necessarily cover? You know, there's, there's more that I want to talk about, but I mean, like, I don't know. I'd say I'm, I'm looking forward to returning to this and having additional discussions down the road because a, I want to see where things go. Cause that's going to give me some context and perspective as to, to this first act and a couple things that I'm, I'm curious about if I I'm happy about it or not happy about it. Right. Yeah. And I think without that context, I'm not ready to comment yet. And then additionally, I really do want to look under the hood because I think that that's going to give me a better perspective of what works and what doesn't as a player because I'll have a better understanding of what's going on. Okay. Well, we will come back to that in part five of this series, probably in months from now. <laughs> yeah. Many months. <laughs> many, many months. It took us a long time to get here. I don't know what else can be said that needs to be said. I mean, I, just remember, you, you if you need to change something... Actually, this is something I'll say. Um, the first part, there is a lot of foundation building in the night floors a lot of it and it can be frustrating for players because they get a lot of information and very little of it has any payoff in this first part because it's like the opening act right but i can see if you're not careful how that can be frustrating because i I did give you guys a lot of stuff and that is something i'm now kind of laser focused on i'm tweaking the adventure as we go so things that you guys especially things that you reacted to well i'm gonna try to have them pay off better uh, as we go on, like, like this next part, there's going to be a lot of payoff, Jonathan, but yeah, I would say, do not be afraid to change things in the adventure to make things that the players encounter pay off because that's kind of the point, you know? And, and it's, that's also why I'm hesitating commenting more because we, we, I know for a fact that we haven't gotten to pay off. So I, I really don't know where I stand right now. A hundred percent. I know I got a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I feel like some of it's going to pay off, but I don't think we're there yet, right? Like, no, we are not. And, and that's that's why I can't, I can't really comment until we get there because I, you know, I don't know what that payoff is. And if the payoff is awesome and satisfying, then that makes it all worth it. Yeah, it, it is a lot of work for the 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 game master because 
I mean, it's a story about a story and part of it is like surreal horror is supposed to feel familiar, you know, like whatever happens, that's kind of how it's always supposed to have been. And so as a GM, you really need to flex your muscles to make sure that that pays off. And part of that is like, if you guys find out about stuff, like that stuff has to happen. Like it has to be meaningful and yeah, it's just rough. The night floors is kind of a rough adventure because it doesn't really have a finale and they don't really tell you that you necessarily have to come up with one yourself. It's actually very poorly written in that regard. It is like one of my, so far it is my main, my main criticism of it, especially the night floor so far. It just does not tell you what to do um, after that. It just kind of like says, okay, go have fun. And it doesn't, if they had spent another page or two just giving you some ideas about, you know, maybe do this or maybe do that or try to tie it together. But it just, I mean, I get, I get why it's not there. It's a beast of a book. It's bigger than the handler's book. It's 368 pages for just a single adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It's 368 pages, Jonathan. That's almost a hundred more pages than the D and D players handbook has in it. It's mammoth. So it, and it's crammed as it is. So I, I kind of get, but it's like, could you guys have not like pages come in eights? I think when you do a book like that, I think I thought I read that somewhere that you, they go up numerically as eights or fours or I forget, but yeah, just, I wish they could have fours. Because it's, it's, yeah, think about a piece of paper that's folded in half with front, back, front, front, back. Okay. Yeah, I wish they just sprung for just a couple more pages to just give you a little direction pieces. Because especially if you're, I, I think this adventure is going to win awards this year. I'm, I'm positive of it. And because d d is so big, and I think we're getting to a point where people who have been playing d d for a while are looking for something new. And if they hear about this, but this adventure does not do a great job occasionally of laying things out for you you kind of are on your own to a degree. And that's a bit of a problem. And even if they just acknowledge that you're on your own, it's like from this point, your players may not decide to do what we think they're going to do. You are on your own. You have to come up with something, make it based off of what's already happened or something. But yeah, they just don't give you that. And that kind of sucks. So that'd be my main complaint. And I'm warning you about it. So if you're planning on running this, like keep that in mind. Oh, keep that in mind. And also F you players, F you Jonathan, F you Wes, F you wife, F you buddy. All of you, you guys completely went off the rails and I have to redo everything and I hate you all for it, but we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that old adage of players, players just being awful and changing things is is very true. And every single module I've ever run as a, a DM, like within the, the first two to three sessions, it's, it's, I've lost my, my original intent and I've, I've had to remap the whole thing. So I feel you. <laughs> it'll be fine it'll be fine to be honest the, the, the part that we're in right now wasn't spo- isn't supposed to be very long but since it's now up front i can stretch it out a little bit and make it a little more interesting so i'm 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 enthused i got a plan but i'm yeah we're we're flying way off the rails right now so thank you jonathan thank you i hate you but i love you i know that's fair all right that's uh impossible landscapes part one the night floors we will be back in a to talk about part two, a volume of secret faces, whenever we get done with that. Well, that brings us to the end of the deep dive, which means, unfortunately, we are at the end of episode 108 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Robert, we're back, baby. We're back. We're churning them out now. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, really, Discord's the, the, the best place these days. Uh, that's where we do a lot of chatting with folks. And uh, yeah, Robert, any final thoughts? 
Yeah, reading horror stories written by women is interesting, man. It is interesting. Because I have read a lot of King and Yellow stuff written by the dudes. It's a lot of women writing about finding horror that finding horror for women. And it's 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 interesting. It's an interesting perspective. I kind of dig it. Casilda's song has a lot of mixed reviews, but I would say it's worth a read because you get a very different point of view on things. Which I need to finish that book. We can talk about that later. I've talked about it a bit with Gina, but we will get to that later. I need to finish it. But yeah, King in Yellow. Have you seen the yellow sign, Jonathan? Have you seen it? Have you found <laughs> it? Once. Once. Gina, on the other hand, seems to just thrive on it. <laughs> well, you read the book. You actually read the play. I'm proud of you. It's nice not having players that, that think that it's up to them to solve Cthulhu or something, you know? <laughs> just read the play. Why not? Put that alien idea in your head. Try to get it out. Have fun with that. <laughs> I have no problem with that. All right. Well, Robert, that means that there really is only one thing left to do, and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. 